Welcome back to the Health in Motion podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Alexis. And I'm Evie. And I'm going to jump right into our breath work. So I'm going to talk just a, more about what to do, what to look for with breath work rather than doing an actual breath work exercise. So we've talked about breath work a lot on this podcast. You have probably heard the episode from our friend James Fryer who talks about breath work. But there's things that I've heard from him and have picked up as I've gotten more into this that I wanted to share. So two main points is that when we inhale through our nose, we want it to be silent. So we don't actually want to make any sound when we're inhaling. You know, sometimes people when they inhale, they'll go, and that's too loud. So we want to make sure it's a silent inhale. And actually at the workshop that James led here at my office a couple of weeks ago, um, he said that a way to know if you're still too loud is if you plug your ears. So put your fingers in your ears and take an inhale through your nose. If you can hear yourself inhale, that's still too loud, which that was a big eye opener for me. So I've been doing that to see like, am I still making too much noise when I'm inhaling? Is this too aggressive or too hard? So check in with yourself when you do inhales, can you hear yourself? Can other people hear you? And then plug your ears and see if you can still hear yourself take that inhale. On the exhale, you, depending on if you're doing it through your nose or through your mouth, I've been doing it through my mouth because I'm really working on getting my ribs to open or my ribs to move up and down. And so that's kind of a technique that I'm working on from, you know, James gave that cue to me. Um, I have to make a sound when I exhale. So I'm envisioning like a glass or a mirror in front of me and trying to fog up that glass or mirror. So I'll breathe in quietly. And then I open my mouth and I will exhale and make a sound to fog up that mirror like. <sighs> and so you can practice that most likely on your own. You don't probably want to do this out in public with people, but um, really just being conscious of the way that we're breathing and making sure that we're not being too aggressive and that we're really focusing on the mechanics of this, that we get the most benefit out of it. And one thing that James has said multiple times, and I'm pretty sure he said it on the podcast is noses are for breathing, mouths are for talking and eating. So from a, you know, day-to-day -day tasks, really focusing on making sure you are breathing through your nose. Um, and then, you know, maybe through the mouth for different activities, maybe more rigorous activities, or if it's a specific exercise you have to do. So that's our little segment on breath work. Wanted to just go over a couple things that we've been talking about and practicing ourselves. And so Try that out. See if you're being quiet on your inhale. And if you're exhaling through your mouth, practice fogging up that glass or mirror in front of you. Okay, so we are going to quickly review the health challenge from the mobility and flexibility episode. So I had posted a video and you can, of course, always go back and do that, um, do this yourself. But on my Instagram of a hip internal and external rotation mobility exercise, um, it's one that I'll often give my patients if I notice that they have some limitations. And Primarily, I'll see people will feel like they're tight in external rotation, which means like the pigeon pose position. Um, and sometimes they are, but a lot of times I find they actually have pretty good motion there. I think they have guarding in their pelvis for other reasons. Um, but internal rotation can sometimes be limited. So that's an exercise that I give a lot of my patients and we kind of take a look at what their flexibility and mobility is in their hips. Sometimes if you're limited in that internal and external rotation, it can affect your squat mechanics and things like that. So um, you do have to have a certain range to get into a comfortable deep squat position. So um, 
Did you, have you tried any hip mobility stuff? Yeah. Well, I remember one time you led a virtual like Mm -hmm. lunch hour mobility session through a local gym. And I have been doing some of that stuff that you showed me there or that I watched you do in the video. And I do that, especially before lower body. And I do feel like it helps. And then you've just shown me some other things to do for my hips because they definitely get tight and my my range of motion gets, you know, Mm -hmm. like stunted, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing that and I have noticed a difference overall. I'm not as consistent as I should be, yeah. but it is really interesting how I'll do kind of a test thing to see where I'm at and then I'll do those exercises mm-hmm. and then I can automatically like a minute later, I'm like, wow, I have a lot more yeah. range of motion here. Your body gives you a little more access to that range of motion. And yes. I think breath work, and we talked about this a little bit um, in when we talked about the challenge from James with adding in extra, um, breath work throughout the day and, and the five minutes a day. I think that breath work makes a huge difference with hip and like pelvis mobility and range of motion as well. So if it's something you've been struggling with and you keep stretching your hips out and they always feel tight... I would definitely look more on to doing some breath work. And there are some mechanical reasons for that. And there's also some nervous system reasons for that. So I think we've touched on that in the past, but um, that's definitely where I typically go with my patients is, Hey, we need to do some of this mobility and flexibility work, but then also let's get into some of the mechanics of breathing and how that can help to loosen up the hips and pelvis as well. Yeah. I did that with James after our workshop, we had a friend, um, Kyle was here and James led us through some different Mm -hmm. like exercises. And he did first, you know, an assessment of like, how far up can you get your knee before you start feeling pain and, you know, in your hips and this and that, and just doing some breathing in different positions of breathing, right. Breathing on your side versus breathing on your back that really opened up a lot. And so I would, I then retested myself and I could move my leg up a lot higher without any pain. And it's just amazing that we overlook this. We think, oh, I'm going to stretch, 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 Mm -hmm. but there's so much more that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's always about getting to kind of that root underlying reason why something's limited. Um, Tightness, limited range of motion. It's all just communication from your body. Mm -hmm. So Okay, so in today's episode, I'm going to be talking a little bit about visceral manipulation. So if you follow Evie and I on Instagram, you've probably seen a few posts that we've done about this treatment technique, and I'm really excited to explain it a little bit more. Um, It is a little complicated, and so I'm going to try and just explain as best as I can. Um, As always, the information I'm going to share in this episode is for educational purposes only. It's not to be taken as medical advice, but if you're interested in learning more about visceral manipulation or if you're curious if it may benefit you, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk more details on this, um, but today I'm going to kind of give an overview of what it is. I actually just got back from my second visceral manipulation course, so I've taken Levels one and two, um, there's six total levels, but five and six are like emotional. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So um, I'm going to go ahead and just dive in with defining a couple things here to make sure we kind of are all on the same page on what visceral manipulation is. So first, when we're talking about the viscera, we're talking about internal organs. So we'll primarily be discussing your abdominal organs in this episode because visceral manipulation one and two are both abdominal. Um, And so those are the courses I've taken so far. But some of the advanced courses do train therapists in manipulation of both the thoracic cavity and then also reproductive organs. So So visceral manipulation three, they talk about uterus and ovaries and bladder and rectum and all of that. And then um, 
in visceral manipulation four, they talk about lungs. We did a little bit with the esophagus in this last course, um, heart, stuff like that. So, um, they do get a little more into that. And then, like I said, five and six more have to do with, um, emotional and how to treat that. So who can study visceral manipulation? Um, and really it's any manual therapist. So that means physical therapist, massage therapist, or osteopaths. Both of the courses I've been in, there have been a lot of massage therapists in there. So um, it's gotten a little more common that there are some LMTs who are doing visceral manipulation. Um, but there have also been a lot of physical therapists in my classes. So visceral manipulation was discovered by a French man. His name is Jean-Pierre Barral, and he is a physical therapist and also an osteopath. And in different countries, osteopaths practice a lot different than in the U.S. Um, so that's just something to kind of note. He's not like a DO, like what we think of in the U.S. Okay, so, gotcha. Um, what is visceral manipulation? Visceral manipulation is a gentle manual therapy technique that helps to improve awareness and communication to the organs. That's really the most basic way that I can explain it. It's so I'm glad that you broke it down of like, what are viscera? Yeah. Like, because when you first told me about this, I was like, wait, what is she talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. what are we doing? And but I'm telling you, like, if again, we posted about this on my Instagram or maybe I've told you in person because I'm so intrigued and hooked on this. Like this is this can be magical if you let it. Right. Yeah. I think that if you really allow Alexis to do what she's trying to do and you really let your body relax and really believe like, Hey, I probably need a little support in mm -hmm. this. You're going to notice differences. And I'd love to share more of what I've noticed. But again, I think at least learning about this, knowing this is an option is important because especially with what you've done with the abdomen, mm -hmm. I mean, how many people would benefit from that just right, right off the bat? Right. I mean, so many digestive things could be, mm -hmm. you know, improved through this. So this is really, really important information. Yeah. And we're going to dive a little more later in the episode into like exactly what our goals are with you and why I recommended that we add this in yeah. to kind of some of your treatment protocols. Um, so when we're talking about visceral manipulation and what we're looking at, we're looking at the both the mobility and the motility of the organ. So I'm going to explain what those are. So organ mobility is the movement of the viscera or the organs in response to voluntary movement or to movement of the diaphragm in respiration. So guess what? We're going to talk about breath work again. <laughs> so when we're talking about the mobility of the organ, if you turn to the right and your whole body turns, your organs are turning with that, right? They're not going to stay just in one spot. They have to move along with your body. When you do, let's say like a sit up or you sit up out of bed, you're compressing your organs in the front and it, they're extending in the back, right? So the organs need to be able to move within your abdomen and your thorax and your pelvis. When we're talking about breath and breathing and the response to the diaphragm. So we've talked a little bit about the diaphragm. It sits right at the bottom of your ribs. When you inhale, the diaphragm moves down into the abdomen. That means it's compressing a lot of those organs. The pelvic floor also relaxes. So that kind of makes a little more room for some of those pelvic organs. Um, but that diaphragm moves down and kind of compresses the organs. When you exhale, the diaphragm moves back up and the organs kind of come back up. So they are going to respond to the diaphragm moving. So again, if we're talking about benefits of breath work, there's not a lot of like specific home exercises I'm going to give to people who are coming in for visceral manipulation. A lot of times it's other resources depending 
I mean, it's, there's a wide variety of things that this can help with. So it really depends on what the person's coming in for. But I do always tell them breath work can be helpful because you're, you know, expanding and contracting that diaphragm and you're compressing and then releasing that pressure off the organ. So we're getting good mobility through the organs um, with the breath work. So again, just another benefit of breath work and um, kind of massaging those organs in the abdomen. When we're talking about organ motility, we're talking about the inherent motion of the viscera themselves. So your organs are made up of all these different cells and they're active. Your organs all have a job. They're not just hanging out in there, just chilling, not doing anything. Um, they're also part of your autonomic nervous system, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. But what that means is we don't have to sit here all day and say, okay, heartbeat. Okay. You know, kidneys process this fluid and you know, like we're not having to tell our organs what to do. They are autonomic, automatic. They're doing those jobs on their own. Those cells are working. So there is an inherent motion within each organ just sitting in your viscera. It's almost like, um, again, like you think about the heart beating, that's just like the motion that it's doing throughout the day. The other thing I want to note, and again, I've not taken the five and six courses. Someday when I'm, I do, I'm sure I'll have a lot more to share on this, but emotions um, relate to the organs as well. And I think the most simple way, and probably most of us have felt this before, is if you're feeling really anxious or excited about something, sometimes your digestive system will react to that, right? And so maybe your stomach's upset or you experience loose stools or something like that because you're really anxious. That is your organs responding to that emotion. And depending on what the emotion is, different organs hold those emotions. So I brought this um, thing with me even to show Evie today that I got this weekend. It's this little pamphlet that has information on, you know, what type of emotion it is, which organ might hold on to that emotion. And if the organ is holding on to an emotion, that affects its ability to function. So like I said, if you're really anxious, your digestive system is not functioning as well as it should be. And that can cause you to have some diarrhea or feel that upset stomach. So that's like a really, I think, common example. But there are some more like deep emotional things that organs will hold on to. So I saw a little bit of it in the course this weekend where um, – People who were in my class, they maybe were holding on to some deep emotion. And when we did a technique on that organ, they had an emotional reaction. Yes. I've seen that in different um, Instagram accounts that kind of yeah. talk about this too. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask you this, like I've had a client who told me, you know, when I do things like to open up my thoracic, like I uh -huh. start crying. Yeah. Like, yeah. So there's probably, and I can't tell you, you know, based off that like small right. amount of information, which organ it is. Um, but I think this pamphlet's really interesting because if you look at like, hey, what's the type of emotion that it holds? People will say like, oh, like in the course, it was interesting because some of the people in the class would say, yeah, when I actually looked at the list of what emotions that organ holds, it makes sense because I lost my mom at a young age or because, you know, I had this experience or like people who've had a lot of car accidents organs will respond to that and they can hold on to some tension. So um, that's just something I want to note if this is something you look into and you have an emotional reaction that is normal, but releasing some that organ, um, obviously, you know, it's not going to change the past and the emotions that you might have around something. But if you can release that organ from holding on to that emotion, that organ is going to function better. 
So I'm looking at this and maybe we'll post a picture of this when we put this episode up or something, but I'm looking at the stomach one and this is one that, you know, Alexis has worked on with me. And one of the first two things is social stress, fear of loss of stature. So social stress. Yes. I think for sure a lot of people in the last year and a half and then there's in quotes, what I do and not what I am. And that's definitely like, you know, a dilemma that most of us have had. It's like, you know, is what I do defined by who I am. So this is really, really interesting. I think we should reference this or at least show this, or maybe you look it up, listen, of like what kind of emotions could be associated with different organs but this is super interesting and I think again shows the power of the body and how amazing it is yeah absolutely um so like I said the dysfunction of organ mobility and motility it can affect the function of the organ itself so what I just talked about with you know if we're holding on to these emotions or um if the organ isn't moving well it's not going to function quite as well like one of the examples they gave in the first course too is sometimes people's liver labs will come back and they'll be normal but the liver is working really hard to produce that normal and so then the body's feeling other things so when you get the liver moving better and the liver is like basically everyone needs their liver treated um when you treat that liver other symptoms a person has are go go away because now the liver doesn't have to work so hard that makes sense to make those labs look nice and pretty right yeah that makes sense so um the other thing is that it can affect other related structures. So I think this is really where my interest started is, especially in folks who have chronic pain, um, a lot of times if there's limitations, so the organs are wrapped in fascia. They also have different ligaments that connect them to different musculoskeletal structures throughout our body. So if we're talking about Again, we can use the liver example. There are three big ligaments that attach the liver to the diaphragm. So you can imagine if those ligaments get tight for some reason, and there can be a lot of reasons that could happen, it's not moving as well. It's going to also affect the diaphragm. It's going to affect your ability to take a deep breath maybe on that on that um, side of your body. Same thing when it comes to like some of the um, lower parts of your bowels, if they have ligaments that attach them to like your hip region, you can have hip pain and that can be related. The other thing I want to make note of is I think that we often overlook the fact that our nerves, so your nerves all kind of start in your brain and your spinal cord. They come out of the brain and the spine and they go out to innervate all parts of your body. So there are connections, nerve connections between your hands all the way up to your neck from your feet all the way up to your lower back. And so if we're talking about limitations in how your organs are moving and tightness through that abdomen, that can have an effect all the way down to your foot through both the neurological system and also through your fascia. When it comes to visceral manipulation, and this is one of the things I love about it, is we don't really waste time trying to figure out like, uh, you're not going to come in my office and I'm going to assess you and I'm I'm not going to say to you, Evie, your foot hurts because this nerve is being, you know, limited all the way up in your abdomen because of your cecum. Like, I'm not going, I don't know. Yeah. You know, they're <laughs> yeah. all kind of theories, but we have to look at this stuff, especially in those folks with chronic pain that have had the injections, they've had physical therapy, they've tried massage, they've taken the medication and they're not 
able to relieve that pain or they're not finding true relief, maybe there's something going on in the abdomen. Maybe there's an emotional component that's affecting some of their organs, which is then affecting the nervous system and maybe some of their musculoskeletal system. Your body is all connected. And I feel like we say that in every episode for one reason or another. But this is just looking at this component of your body. And can we improve how your organs are moving and functioning from a physical standpoint that could then affect the foot pain you're having? Let's just see. Let's give this a try. Um, So that really gets into who can benefit from this treatment. So chronic pain is a huge one. This is really important for people who have kind of tried it all and they're not noticing a difference. Okay, well, let's see if maybe something else is held up here. Bowel and bladder dysfunction. So I know we've talked about a lot with Dr. Tyler um, in terms of where pelvic floor physical therapy comes into that, but this work is also very important for those problems. So um, they really go hand in hand. Pregnant women and postpartum women. So there are a lot of things in pregnant women that we don't do, I mean, period, across the board, physical therapy wise, but definitely with the visceral work, you're not going to get any of that mobility work. We're very careful about that. But the motility work is mostly this kind of gentle energetic type work where it's fine for you to have motility work. And actually motility work in pregnant women can help to improve nausea, heartburn, stuff like that. So um, there is some work that can be done that can be really beneficial. Postpartum, and this is kind of what I experienced in VM1, a lot of my organs were still sort of um, not wanting to come back towards midline. Because if you think about when you are pregnant and your uterus expands, it pushes all those organs kind of out of the way. Yeah. Um, if you've ever seen like a drawing of what happens in the female body when there's a the baby like takes up all that space, it's crazy. It just moves those organs right yes. out of the way. Wow. So after you have a baby, your organs are trying to figure out, okay, now where do I go back into my place, right? Mm-hmm. And Sometimes that motility gets, well, I would say probably every time that motility gets affected and they're not going to move quite as well. Um, So anyone who's had a baby can definitely benefit from some of this work. And then anybody who's had an abdominal surgery. So let's say you've had, you know, they've cut through that abdominal fascia. There's going to be adhesions. Those can affect... um, you know, the organs and the fascia that wraps around the organs. Also, if let's say they've removed the uterus, obviously your body's going to figure out, okay, now what do we do to fill that space? Um, And so doing some of this work in people who've had abdominal surgeries can be really, really beneficial as well. And then, like I said, just anybody with musculoskeletal pain. So even if somebody's coming in with shoulder pain, you know, you're not likely going to think right away, like I probably need my abdominal viscera looked at, but we talked about those nerve connections. Yes. So there are some nerve connections between some of the abdominal organs and referred pain can happen. Um, and so if we can kind of figure out, okay, is there an underlying visceral issue here that can make all the difference in alleviating some of that pain. So um, mostly in chronic patients, I think it's really beneficial, but certainly um, there are some other situations with musculoskeletal pain that it can be beneficial as well. So I know this is a lot of kind of deep sciencey information, so I'm trying to keep it <laughs> as straightforward as I can. Um, but that's really a lot of who can benefit from this treatment. And we'll also, like I said, we're definitely going to talk about Evie's um, specific reason why yeah, I wanted to, definitely. We to can work with her. Go into that 
Yeah. Not going to hold back so, on that. <laughs> Abby's always open to sharing, which I greatly appreciate. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go through a little bit of what a treatment session will look like because it is a little different than a typical PT evaluation. Um, and it's, it's what's really cool about visceral manipulation is it's less about like, if, if you come to me and you say, Hey, I'm experiencing IBS. What are you going to, what can you do with visceral manipulation to treat me? I have no idea. It depends on what your body needs. So that's a really cool thing about visceral manipulation. And it takes a lot of practice. But what you start with is what they call a general listening. So it's really just me as the provider kind of listening to your body, watching you take some deep breaths, kind of seeing where your body drifts because the body hugs lesions. So if you think about, and I love this example too, if you have a stomach ache, what do you do? You bend forward over your stomach to try and protect it. That's what your body does whenever there's a lesion. So your body's going to kind of drift towards the organ where the primary dysfunction is. Now, that's not to say like if your body drifts towards the stomach that um, that's the only place that there's dysfunction. But that is where your body is saying, if you can help me with this, maybe some of these other things are going to work themselves out, right? So it's that general listening. And then we're going to do a local listening. So I'm going to put my hands hand on your abdomen and I'm going to feel around for where do I feel like your body is hugging that lesion? Where does it feel a little bit tighter? And there are some cool techniques that they show um, to kind of figure out, okay, where do I feel like that, that listening is? And then also trying to listen to organs and how they're working with one another. So I'm not going to get too deep into how they show you, show us how to do that, but it really is a lot of just connecting to the client and figuring out, okay, where do I feel like there's tension in that fascia? And then we do assessment of the organ, wherever we find whatever organ we decide we're going to treat, we assess the motility and the mobility of it. And then we treat that organ. So depending on the person and where we're feeling the most restriction and is it restricted within kind of this specific direction or is it not moving well with this other organ and it's kind of upset with that we do our treatment based off that um the rule is we only treat two or three organs in a treatment session the reason being like i said it's autonomic and so we often get big nervous system responses. Um, I had one patient recently who like she went home and she felt like pretty sick the rest of the night, was completely fine the next day, but it was just her body being like, holy cow, you moved some things around that haven't been moved in a long time. And it's that autonomic nervous system and it just needed a minute to settle back down. So we are very careful not to over-treat. Um, and so we do limit how many organs we treat in a treatment session. And then we reassess like, okay, does it feel like it's moving better? Is that organ happier? Did that listening go away? Is your body now telling me that that organ is moving better and it and it's not hugging that lesion anymore? Because you'll feel that there's that tightness isn't there anymore once you release whatever it is that it needed. Um, so it's a lot of that hands-on and just feeling with your hands what's going on. And it's less about the patient's symptoms when it comes to visceral manipulation. So it's a totally, I've it's been tough for me to kind of wrap my head around that side of it. Um, and obviously we still want to assess that subjective. I want those main complaints you came in with to, to improve. Um, but also what is your body telling me it needs and how is it responding to that? So typically because again, it's that autonomic nervous system, this is a treatment that if you're coming in and you're just getting visceral manipulation, we're going to do that treatment every three weeks about. 
Um, no more than that because it's just going to be too much for your system. And it does take about three weeks for your body to just kind of settle in after having this type of treatment and to really see what all um, the effects are going to be there. So about every three weeks, oftentimes the people I'm seeing, they have other things that we can work on. So we may do like, okay, let's see you next week, but we're going to focus on more movement-based stuff. Um, it's not like I'm doing this and I'm throwing all my other PT training out the window, right? There are other things we can be doing while your body's sort of settling in from this visceral work. And then about three weeks after that initial session, we're going to reassess and we're going to do it again um, and see what kind of response we get. So that's the basics of it. It is definitely complicated um, and it takes a lot of training and it's a lot of training your hands. And one of the things that I've also kind of had to wrap my head around is a lot of people actually who take these courses take the same courses over and over again because we learn so many different techniques. So it's a good way to kind of you get into using the techniques that you're either comfortable with or you're having success with. So it's nice to go back and review some of those techniques. But this is also a long learning experience like you don't learn how to do this stuff and then you're good and you just go do it. Your hands get better and better and you're basically always a student of this. So it's really cool stuff. Um I've met some really cool people so far doing this type of, of work and, and training in this work. And um, I'm planning to continue with the series. So I'm excited to, to kind of keep learning more about this. Um, but I do want to get into discussing Evie's experience and kind of why I recommended this for her. And then she can tell you a little bit about what she's felt. So um, Evie's kind of shared on her Instagram story. She's dealt with some gut bacteria. Mm hmm. And specifically had a parasite that you were trying to get rid of. And you were doing like a whole kind of yeah treatment plan for that, right? Yeah. So I do, um, you know, I do testing on myself. So in my most recent stool tests, we found some um, dysbiosis. And that mm -hmm. means an imbalance of good bacteria to bad bacteria. So it's kind of like all the... You know, kids at the playground and there's the bullies and there's mm -hmm. the good kids and there's not enough good kids and there's way too many bullies. And so that's kind of what has been going on in my gut. Yeah. And um, and then found, you know, I still have some stuff with H. pylori. So mm -hmm. that's a, you know, badass bacteria that can really cause problems for people. And yeah. it's, you know, debated whether we need to eradicate completely in the functional medicine world or we just like treat until you don't have symptoms of it anymore. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to address that because I was having symptoms of that. And, um, you know, we're going to do a whole episode on this. We have a lot of stuff with gut coming up, but, yeah. um, parasites didn't show up on this test. However, mm -hmm. I did have them on the test test last year, mm -hmm. but because I had symptoms of them, I wanted yeah. to treat as if I do have a parasite because parasites are really, really, um, smart and they will hide yeah. in biofilm mm -hmm. they'll you know find their way to hide so they hide from the immune system they don't always come out in the stools so you mm -hmm. might not even find it on your result but if you're having symptoms of it and you especially have bacteria because parasites are the food for bacteria so mm -hmm. what is that bacteria eating it, there's probably a parasite in there somewhere so yeah. um that's why i was like okay i think i do have this going on and so Alexis was like, Hey, I have something that could be beneficial. Cause I started this big protocol with like, of course, lifestyle things. You guys know mm -hmm. that I'm not going to just jump to supplements. So I was doing lifestyle things, being more conscious with the food and the way that I prepare food and the way that I eat food. And, and then I did uh, start a protocol. Uh, Dr. Jess Petros, she kind of coined this and started this. Um, it's called kill, bind, sweat, where you take supplements that are, um, you know, microbials to, um, 
kill the pathogen and then you take binders to bind them up and then you want to get them out of your system through your bowels but also through sweat so mm -hmm. kill bind sweat um so i was doing that and that's why i was doing like my hot baths and sweating in the bathtub because i don't have a sauna so that's where i was doing those are the things i was doing and then mm -hmm. we decided to add visceral manipulation to see if that would help and from my understanding I think it could help because like I said, these things can hide in organs. Mm -hmm. And so they might be hiding in the liver and yeah. we have no idea. Yeah. And so if we can like nudge that liver to move a little bit and get its, um, it's, what did you call it? The, uh, motility yeah. back, then maybe that parasite will kind of shake loose yeah. and it can't hide in there anymore. Right. And they often, they were talking about in like the level one course, how a lot of times parasites like to hide. You have these little curves at the top of your large intestine. Um, so your hepatic and splenic flexures, they like to hide right in those little corners. Mm -hmm. And so if we try and release some of that large intestine, then that can help to push that out. Now, again, we're really, when we did these treatment sessions, I was listening to Evie's body on like, okay, where does Evie have tension? Where does her body need me to move things? It may not have necessarily been that specific area, but all, again, these organs all work together. So if her body was telling me, hey, you need to release the sigmoid colon, you know, maybe either it was hiding there or it was hiding above that. And if we could release the sigmoid colon, it could kind of get pushed out, especially with some of the other protocol you were doing. Yeah. So, um, when they were talking about H. pylori and parasites in this class, I was like, Evie, I have something for you. I'm so excited. Yes, yeah. So what, you know, what are the things that you worked on? I know we did mm -hmm. some cecum stuff and. Yeah, I believe. We did a liver lift. Is that what it's called? Yes. So and that we was did a really, liver lift. really interesting for mm -hmm. me. Yeah, we did a liver lift. We've also, I know we've treated your duodenum as well. And you had a big release with that when we did that. So is that the one where I was swaying? Yes, you okay. were, we were seated and you were swaying quite a bit on that one. So can I talk about that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So Alexis, <laughs> I have to set the scene. Alexis was like behind me and she's like, you know, um, kind of got her hand. I mean, I don't know what you're doing with your hands, yeah. but you got your hand at this part of my body and I'm, you know, I close my eyes. I'm trying to relax. I'm just trying to breathe. And the next thing I know, I start swaying like side to side. Like, so we're just swaying together on the <laughs> table. And then I stop and I take this big, deep breath. And this whole time I thought Alexis was guiding me. But she told me that I was the one swaying and she was following my movement, which I found fascinating because I could have swore that she was the one like moving my body to maybe release something. Mm -hmm. But that was my body releasing and swaying on its own to like, I mean, I just thought that was incredible. Yeah. So a lot of times I can feel the organ kind of under my hand and it's small movements, but it'll kind of shear. Sometimes it'll rotate a little bit and it's just... Really what we're doing with visceral manipulation, this is another point I want to make, is I'm just giving proprioceptive input to your body. The work I did on you is not like deep or intense, right? It was pretty gentle. Yeah, it's very gentle. I mean, yeah. I you just lay on a table most of the time or you yeah. sit up and you kind of, you know, you, it's not even like you poke around. No, like it's so it's gentle. very gentle. And so really what it is, is like they explain it as a phone call to the organ. Your organ knows what it needs to do. It knows where it's tight. It just needs like a tap. Like, mm -hmm. hello, liver, wake up, yeah. release, move around a little bit, get that motility back. So it's 
really visceral manipulation is communication to your body. That is what we were doing. So all I did was kind of hold Evie in a specific position and I gave some communication to her um, duodenum and her body because of the position we were in rather than the organ moving, her body kind of moved around the organ. Um, So that's a cool one because the patients can kind of feel their body release versus like me just feeling the organ under my hands. Now, people who are very connected to their body or a lot of us like in the course, like I could feel in the course, my organ kind of releasing because I knew exactly what was going on. But a lot of times patients don't necessarily feel that or it just feels like their stomach is gurgling. Like it's more of a broad sensation versus like a specific. But I like the seated techniques where the body moves a little bit because I think the person feels a little bit more with that. Yeah. Um. So then in terms of like symptoms, what did you notice after some of the sessions that we did? Um, so we've done three sessions so mm-hmm. far. The first session, I felt um, kind of like this high, I guess, of like this very relaxed state. And when you started talking about the autonomic nervous system, mm-hmm. I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Like my nervous system probably felt like it took a breath and yeah. is like, OK, we got a little bit of some love today. Mm-hmm. And so I felt very calm and, you know, very much like, OK, I feel like focused. I can do things. Uh, the second time I felt a little bit I don't want to say opposite, but a little bit more of like not so calm, but Mm -hmm. very much like, okay, something was going on today. Like that was a little interesting. We pushed, that was when we did the liver lift. Yeah. We did the sigmoid colon and then we did the liver lift. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt a little bit more of like, I don't even want to use the word agitation, but just like, okay, something was going on and, you know, but I will say that's when I noticed a change in my bowel movements, mm-hmm. like sooner than the, after the first one. So changes in bowel movements, I noticed a lot easier. I felt like I was emptying out yeah. a lot more. Like I didn't feel like I was going to the bathroom and still felt like, Oh gosh, like, um, I felt like it was easier to have a bowel movement. Yeah. Um, and I also felt like, so after the third one that we just did not too long ago, I went back to like that calm, almost like calm energy, like mm-hmm. an energetic, like I had, I felt like I could do a lot of things after, but not like in a hyper state. It was more of like focused, calm. I felt like I was breathing really easily. Um, Again, bowel movements were good. And I felt like that carried on for a few days. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that you say that this is three weeks apart because it wasn't just an immediate thing that day and I was done. I felt the effects of it days after. Yeah. And I mean, like I'm craving it now. I'm like, I wish we could have fit this in. And yeah, yeah. um, because I just want more of it because I really like the way it's making me feel. And I want to say, I can't guarantee, but Mm -hmm. maybe you know this better than I do, but I feel like it's also helped with some sleep too. Oh yeah. 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 So, oh, that is one thing I forgot to mention. So I told Alexis that I would sometimes get woken up with the Mm -hmm. urgency to have to go to the bathroom and that has gone away. Yeah. So I feel like I'm actually sleeping better and I'm not getting, I'm not waking up with this jolt of like, oh, got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I mean, that's a game changer to not wake up like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of times, like, especially if there's liver dysfunction, you can feel kind of sluggish, um, and just not, and like not sleeping as well. And again, this is, has a lot to do with if the organs aren't moving well, they're working a lot harder to do their job. And again, you know, all this plays into, we need to be moving our bodies. We need to be eating well. We need to be feeding. Your your organs are made up of cells. Your body's made up of cells of what you put into it. So, you know, I, I think that Evie and I are both big on 
what I'm saying in this. And like, you can't just come in for visceral manipulation and all your bowel problems go away if you're living off of fast food and exactly. inflammatory things and things that your digestive system doesn't agree with. It's it's definitely a piece to your whole health puzzle, yeah. um, just like anything else that both right. of us do, really. Right. And one thing, too, I know we kind of talked about you know, we're using different modalities, but in traditional Chinese medicine, the liver time, they have an mm -hmm. organ clock. The time of the liver is one to 3 a.m. And I wear my aura ring and it'll track like movement or if I wake up in the middle of the night. And I was getting a lot of the one to 3 a.m. wake ups, but I was like, what's going on? So I was thinking it might be something with my liver. It could be cortisol related. It could be blood glucose related because mm -hmm. those are all tied into the liver to some yep. capacity. And I did see a decrease in that, which mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting because yeah. I'm like, something's going on. Like my liver definitely benefited from that. Mm -hmm. If I'm not having these wake up times. Right. Um, so again, I'm a believer. I think you should at least get it checked out. And I think Alexis, you did a great job explaining what it is um, because it can be complicated, mm -hmm. but it ultimately is giving your organs a little love because yeah. they, they have their way that they function, but they get stuck. Um, and so sometimes we just need a little manipulation there to get them unstuck and remind them like, Hey, it's okay to move in this way. And right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, your body is so smart and so resilient and it knows what to do. Sometimes we just have to give it the right input. And that's really what this is all based in. Um, and it is very, very deeply rooted in anatomy. The, the folks who've done research on this, they've, spent a lot of time in cadaver labs looking at these fascial connections and these ligament connections and um, everything we learn in this, like the very beginning of each course is a deep, deep anatomy review of all of the different neurological and physical connections of these organs and, and where they are and what their role is. And it's really cool to see, um, you know, this type of work, like it can feel a little overwhelming, um, but it is so when you really look at like the underlying science behind it, it's anatomy. Mm -hmm. And it makes so much sense. And I've had a lot of patients who say to me, like, this all makes so much sense. I'm like, it makes a lot of sense to me too. Yeah. Um, it's just a, an area that I think sometimes gets overlooked or if labs look good or, or within normal ranges, we just think that it's all good. But maybe that organ is working really hard for that lab to look the way that it does. So it's just giving your organs some love. It's good for your health. It's good for, you know, physical issues that you might have, um, and digestive issues and all of that. So, um, you know, one other really cool thing that I've seen when we talk about like fascial connections is I've had some really great results. And the woman who taught both the courses I've taken, she's doing a ton of research on this. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about this, let me know. But with diastasis recti, which is very, very common post-pregnancy, um, pretty much everybody has it to a certain extent. And then some women um, will have it hang out a little bit longer. I've done this with a few of my clients. And like I said, um, the woman who's teaching my course is doing some really awesome research in it. If you can release some of the fascia around that rectus abdominis muscle, which is the muscle that separates during pregnancy, um, I've actually seen diastases close in a visit or two just wow. from, and maybe the person has been doing all of the abdominal core exercises and this doesn't take the place of that. That is all the other things we do from a PT standpoint, pelvic floor PT, retraining of those abdominal muscles post-pregnancy, like that is all very important. But if the fascia is pulling that rectus apart, you're fighting against it. So by releasing that, it allows the rectus to kind of close back up. Um, and I've in one of my patients specifically I've been working with, I, it's been lasting and 
she's noticed that it doesn't, you know, pooch out quite as much, which I know a lot of women have that issue post-pregnancy and, and it's uncomfortable and it's can be challenging to close up. So this is another great thing that can be really, really helpful for just another diagnosis that I've seen at yeah, Benefit. That's amazing. So it's cool stuff. So um, for this week's health challenge, um, and Evie kind of came up with this because this is something she notices, just kind of feel around your belly and see if you feel differences from one side to the other. Does one feel tighter than the other? And you don't have to push hard. Just kind of feel around your own stomach and feel like, hey, where do I feel some tension? Um, And just kind of get familiar with that area. And then also, um, if you have questions about this episode, please, please feel free to reach out. Um, I love talking about this stuff. I've really been kind of deep diving into it. I think it's interesting and I think it's going to help a lot of people. So please reach out to me if you have questions. Yeah. And where can people reach out to you? So you can reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is at absolute kinetics PT. You can also always email me at Alexis at absolute kinetics PT.com. Awesome. And I know that I've put up a reel of us doing this. So we'll probably continue. So yes. people can get more of a, you know, a uh, example visual of what this looks like but i'm telling you like this is definitely something to explore you also have a really good blog post Mm -hmm. on your website about visceral manipulation that people can read about yeah um if you listen to this and you feel like someone would benefit from this like i can name like three people right now who i'm like i feel like i need to tell them about this again um share it with them because this is such a gentle way to be to do like really impactful change, right? Like it's a gentle way to get really, um, lasting results and it's, it's non-invasive. Like it's so simple and easy. Yeah. And I just think that more people would benefit from this. Yep. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great week, everyone.